Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Our listener support campaign continues. Become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters over at patreon.greatdetectives.net for as little as $2 per month. And now we're going to get into I Hate Crime. I Hate Crime is going to be a very different series. It's an Australian series, but not in the sense that it's a crime, Mr. Collins, or The Fat Man, or that one episode of Ellery Queen we played. Or this is a radio series that is original to Australia. It's also a series where there's a lot of wrong information online about it. So hopefully we'll be able to clarify that. I Hate Crime began production in 1949, not 1950 as is generally stated. At that time, importation of foreign radio series into Australia was forbidden, but most radio programs were particularly in the case of modern series, cases of taking American radio series and rewriting them for Australia using the same scripts, and they would be set in an American city. I Hate Crime stood out because, even though it featured an American protagonist in Larry Kent, the series was set in Australia and used real locations and geographical details in New South Wales. Now, I should say that I have never been to New South Wales, but I do know we have a substantial number of listeners from that state in Australia. So if you notice any geographical Easter eggs that I would miss, I would love to hear from you or hear any insights you might have, as well as any stories or information on the radio series. It does appear that a lot of the information is very scant on this series. I'll share what I've got, but I would always love to hear more. Now, one thing with this series is that I don't actually have episode titles for uh, all but one episode of the series. Maybe two. So, uh, let's just go ahead and play this. This is episode three, and the original air date would be sometime in 1949. Let's go ahead and take a listen. I'm in a funny business, if you can call it a business. For instance, I was in my office that Monday morning following the Saturday Jack Thompson rode five winners in a row. I was trying to figure out how much I'd uh, have if I'd started with a quid and played it all up. I was multiplying 48 by 7 when... Ah, uh, I'm the phone. Larry Kent, Private Investigation. Oh, uh, Mr. Kent, uh, my name is Ashley, Reginald Ashley. Well, am I supposed to know you, Mr. Uh, Ashley? Uh, oh, no, 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 not at all. But uh, 
I would very much like to to make your acquaintance. Yeah? For business reasons? Uh, Yes, certainly. Of of course. Well, fine. Come along to my office. Uh, To your... uh, Look, I'm I'm afraid I I can't do that, Mr. Kent. Why not? Well, uh, Mr. Kent, I I would rather not explain over the telephone. It's... uh, Well, you see, it's it's a very delicate matter. Mm Mm-hmm. I suppose I must be honest with you. The point is, Mr. Kent, that I'm in great danger. Well, what kind of danger? Well, I'd rather see you personally before I before I tell you that. Then it's protection you want. Uh, yes, more or less. Well, I'm pretty expensive, Mr. Ashley. Oh, money doesn't worry me. Huh, you're lucky. Worries the heck out of me. I charge 13 a day plus expenses. 13 a day? Well, I can manage that. I have a minimum. Fifty. Oh, that's that's quite all right, too. Oh, fine. Where can I see you? Uh, well, I'm at a, a pub on the lower end of George Street. Uh, it's uh, just before you make the turning into Woolamaloo. The Ivanhoe or the... Uh, it's the Ivanhoe, yes, yes, the Ivanhoe. That's the one. Uh, Mr. Kent, I'll be uh, in the saloon bar. Now, uh, I'm wearing a, a grey flannel suit, uh, a red tie. Uh, look, I'd like to see you immediately, Mr. Kent. I'll be there in ten minutes. The Ivanhoe isn't a bad pub. Lots of artists and writers hang out there. Both dames and guys drink at the bar. When I walked in, it was only 10.30 in the morning. There were two guys at the bar. One stood facing the open doorway, nursing a tall drink. Another guy, engrossed in a newspaper, sat at the far end of the bar. The one nursing the drink was my man. I walked up to him. Mr. Ashley? Mm, uh, yes, yes. What would you like, sir? Double scotch, then. With, uh... All alone. Yes, sir. Oh, uh, how about you, Mr. Uh, Ashley? Oh, um, well, I'll stay with this, thank you. One double scotch. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Mr. Kent, I'd, uh like to buy this for you, if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Uh, good. Well, uh, what's it all about, Mr. Ashley? Look, I, I'd rather discuss that in the back room, if you don't mind. Okay. English, aren't you? Hmm? English. Oh, yes, 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 quite. That was Scotch. Oh, thanks. Oh, well, here you are. Oh, you may keep the change. Oh, thank you very much, sir. Uh, well, if you'll, uh, if you'll take your drink, Mr. Kent, we can go into the back room. There's no one else in there. We can we can talk. All right. Let's go. Um, after you. Thanks. Well, uh, won't you sit down? Oh, yeah. Well, here's like... What? Oh, yes, yes, of course. The very best. Uh, Cheers. Cheers. Uh, (coughs) You're, uh... You're an actor, Mr. Ashley, aren't you? How how did you know? Oh, it's not too hard to tell the face of a veteran actor. (laughs) No, no, I I suppose it isn't. Well, about this danger you're in. Yes, yes. um, Where's my cigarette holder? Here it is. Do you like a cigarette? No, 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 thank you. I have some of my own here. 
He put the cigarette holder in his mouth, started to rummage through his pockets. His eyes were on me. Suddenly, he stopped rummaging. The end of the empty cigarette holder was directly in line with my face. His face puffed. I moved aside. Something fanned my neck as it went by. I got up, lifting the table with my hands and knees. Ashley's cheeks began to puff out again, but before he could do anything... The cigarette holder fell from his mouth. He reached out, grabbed it. I brought my foot down. Grabbed him by the collar with both hands, lifted him, shoved him against the wall. I freed one of my hands. Used it. No... Please, please, don't strike me again. Why did you start shooting poison darts at me? I... I can't tell you that. Then you'll tell it to the cops. No. No, not, not the police. You want it, huh? Well, that's fine. Now, now look, if I, if I tell you who paid me, will you let me go? I'll think about it. No, I want better than that. Okay, you've got a deal. Who paid you? You'll, you'll have to move fast, Mr. Kent. You see, he's, he's just... Uh, just the door! I didn't bother to look. I hit the floor. Hauled out my gun, but... I rolled. Wood splinters from the floor sang past my eyes, but I was behind the heavy table, ready to get to my feet to start pumping lead when the guy at the door decided that climate was unhealthy. The guy was nowhere in sight. The barmaid stood behind the bar, her eyes big. He was shot. Where did the guy go? What happened? Those was shot. Which what? way did that guy go? I... Go I... By the time she collected her senses, it was too late. My friend was gone. I told her to call the cops. People were pouring into the bar. I went back into the room. My friend had collected in the chest. My late friend. I sat down and waited for the cops. I was at headquarters in Inspector Daniels' office. It was three hours later. The fellow's name wasn't Ashley. It was Cobb. Wanted in England for three murders. Same type of kill in each case. Poison dart, huh? Yes. Now, uh, Kent, about the fellow who shot Cobb. And threw a slug at me. Or uh, isn't that so important? Who is he? I haven't got the slightest idea. You expect me to swallow that? Look, there are times, Inspector, when you could swallow an elephant. Other times you would have trouble with an aspirin. Now, look, Captain. I know what you're getting at. You figure I'm playing Johnny the Hero. Well, here's how it happened for the tenth time. The guy called me up, tried to stick me with a poison dart. When he missed, the guy who was waiting at the bar... Kept him from talking with a slug and then tried to do the same job on me. That doesn't part of that check with the barmaid. Yeah. She was the one who should have got a good look at the other guy. Well, she didn't. Kept his face behind a newspaper. Well, there it is. Now, do you mind if I go back to the office? There's just one thing, Kent. Don't leave town. I know. So long, Inspector. A week passed. I didn't exactly forget the little episode, but I put it far back in my mind because I had other things to think about. For instance, there was the brunette who walked into my office. Hello. 
She was wearing a blue silk dress. Some of the silkworms must have gone on strike. Her physique? Well, she went out where she should go out, went in where she should, and took her sweet time about doing it. Mr. Kent. That's right, Miss... Uh... Randall. Sally Randall. Uh, uh, sit down, Miss uh, Randall. Thank you. Hmm. She made a production out of crossing her legs. She must have practiced the act for a long time. But I couldn't blame her. She had some lovely material to work with. <coughs> oh, uh, what can I do for you, Miss uh, Randall? You, you treat your cases in confidence, don't you, Mr. Kent? My investigations are strictly private, always. Unless a client tries to put something over me. Yes, I, I can understand that. I, I'm in trouble, Mr. Kent. What kind of trouble? Mark Lawrence, my employer. Well, what about him? I'm his secretary. Yeah? I, I was working in Mr. Lawrence's home. He tried... He tried to make love to me. And? We struggled. I pushed at him. He fell. Mm-hmm. His head hit a corner of the desk. And he's dead, huh? Yes. As I said the word dead, Sally Randall broke. Yes. Hey. Hey, now, take it easy. I pushed him. Oh, look on his face. Yeah, well, crying is not going to do you any good. I killed him. Well, if it happened the way you say it happened, then... Lawrence is responsible for his own death. Oh, Mr. Kent, the police may not see it like that. Oh, the cops in this town aren't too bad. There are some bad apples, but not many in the CIB. If you're telling the truth, we'll play ball with you. You're sure of that? Positive. So, uh, maybe it'd be best if you went straight to them, huh? No. No, please. I... I'd feel much better if you had a look first. The cops won't like it if I beat them to it. You can leave after you've had a look. I'll pay your good fee. Mm-hmm. You know something? What? You sound almost like a girl who's engineered a nice little murder and wants an expert's opinion. Oh, you don't really believe that? I said you. I said you sound like it. But that isn't how it is, Mr. Kent. I'm frightened. Surely I have reason to be frightened. Yeah, I guess you do. Trust me. Oh, please trust me, Mr. Kent. <laughs> you know, uh, you've got an honest face. 
And a very beautiful one. Then... Then you'll come with me to the house? Sure. Where is it? Collaroy. Okay, let's go. We climbed to the top of the hill overlooking Long Reef Golf Course. The next house to the left. Uh-huh. Then turn straight into the driveway. Right. You can park at the back so no one can see the car. Check. Like to have a cigarette before we go in? No, thank you. You sure you're feeling okay? I've, uh, I've got some brandy in the glove box. I... Well, I, I'd rather get this over with. Okay, let's go. We got out of the car. Walked along the side of the house. Up a few wooden steps. The, the door's not locked. Please. Please, you go in first. All right. Okay? Yes. Now, where's the body? In the next room. Straight ahead. Oh, you can stay here if you like. No. I'll come with you. It was a big house, well furnished, sort of luxury weekender. Mm -hmm. I figured that Mark Lawrence, whoever he was, had plenty of that folding stuff. We came to a thick oak door. I closed it after it happened. You see, I stayed out here for a while, thinking what to do. I couldn't bear to see... Yeah, yeah, sure. I understand. Uh, I'll go in and have a fast look. You better stay here. No. No, I have to face it. I'll go with you and show you what happened. Good girl. Well, here goes. We entered the room. And there was the guy. Only he wasn't on the floor. And he wasn't dead. Don't. Try anything. The guy had a snub-nosed automatic in his hand. It was pointing in the general vicinity of my belt buckle. I glanced at Sally. She seemed surprised. Mr. Kenta! You don't kill them very dead, do you? <laughs> Good actress, ain't she? Yeah, wonderful. We should have used a woman in the first place. I don't like the idea of making use of that Tommy. Oh... So this is the tail end of that, huh? That's right, Kent. Uh-huh. Well, what have you got against me? I never saw you before in my life. I've got nothing against you. I'm just a bloke who works for a living. Like our friend Sally here. You said this was just supposed to be a practical joke. Yeah, that's what I said. Fooled you both. You see, after the pommy bungled it, Kent, Arnsworth said he'd... Leave it in my hands. Arnsworth? Yeah. Phil Arnsworth. You remember Phil. 
don't you? I remembered Phil. He came into one of my first Australian cases. Because of me, he was sent up for ten years. Time goes fast, doesn't it, Kent? And Phil pushed those years ahead a little bit. He was a real good boy in jail. They took almost two years off his sentence. How much is Phil Onsworth paying you, Joe? The name's Sid, and he's paying me plenty. More than you could offer, Kent, so forget about trying to make a deal. As for you, lady, you shouldn't have answered that ad in the paper for an actress. He told me it was to be a practical joke, Mr. Kent. Oh, I should have seen through it. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do with her, Sid? Seems like there's only one thing to do. I guess Arnsworth will leave that to me. And he broke this gun in once. On the pommy. Ah, so you were the guy behind the newspaper at the Ivanhoe Hotel, huh? That's right. Arnsworth is going to be here in about an hour. He'll want to take care of you, personally, Kent. Yeah, but why do you have to kill the girl? She hasn't done anything. Oh, she's just unlucky, that's all. <laughs> now turn around, Kent, says so I can take your hardware, and don't try anything. If you do, I'll put a bullet in your back and apologize to Phil later. He didn't give me a chance to do anything. The muzzle of his automatic was pressed into my back as he frisked me with his left hand. He took the thirty-eight from my shoulder holster, penknife from my pocket, and stepped away. Okay. You can go down to the cellar and wait for Phil. Won't do you no good to look for a way out, either. There's only a small barred window and that door. And I'll be sitting on this side of the door with two guns. Get moving. The cellar was dark and damp. The small barred window was ten feet up the stone wall. Even with the bars out, a midget would have had trouble squeezing through. I'm sorry I got you into this, Mr. Kent. <laughs> this is a heck of a time to stay so formal. Couldn't you uh, break that down to Larry, huh? You're nice, Larry. Too bad we couldn't have met under more favorable circumstances. Well, what's wrong with this? It's nice and dark. And we're alone. Hmm. Uh, let's uh, let's try that again. Mm. <coughs> hey, what's wrong? Hey, that piece of costume jewelry you're wearing—a jeweled knife. Yeah, a jeweled knife. Unpin it, Sally. Why? I'll show you in a minute. I bumped into a broom a while ago. Yeah, here it is. Now, I'll just snap the broom part off. Ah, hey. What are you going to do with it? Well, next, I'm going to pull out some of this old phone wire, take off the insulation, and then I'm going to fasten that ornamental knife to the end of the broomstick. And then later on, 
I might get a chance to show you how good I was at college as a javelin thrower. Stripping the insulation from the wire was hard work. The ornamental knife wasn't sharp, of course, so I couldn't use that. I used my teeth. Finally, I had a few feet of bare wire. I fastened the ornamental knife as tightly as I could. None too soon, either. The door at the top of the stairs opened. The cellar light was switched on. Stay up here, Sid. Right. Stand in the wall, Sally, so he doesn't see that homemade javelin. All right, Larry. Hello, Kent. Well. Hello, Phil. Eight years. Yeah. Eight years in that cell, that stinking lousy cell. Eight years, Kent. Thinking about killing you. <laughs> oh, you should have taken a more constructive hobby, Phil, like uh, weaving baskets, maybe. Come to just about your last wisecrack, Mr. Smart Alec. Your last crack. I'll just get a little closer. Or you don't want to miss, sir. I want to make sure I don't kill you with the first five or six shots. Oh. Remember that day in court? The day I was sentenced? Yeah. It's one of my happiest memories. Even though you should have got 20 years. I swore I'd get you, Kent. And here we are. Yeah. I think I'll put the first one on your left shoulder. Get ready for the burn of it, Kent. I moved before he could take aim. I grabbed the broomstick as he fired. He fired too quickly. The bullet fanned my cheek. I lifted the broomstick. Let go! The second shot hit the stone wall, and the stick got him in the chest. He staggered back. I went for him, got his right wrist, wrenched the gun free. Larry, watch out! Sid was coming down the stairs. Phil was staggering back, trying to pull the broomstick from his chest. I lifted the gun. Sid fired wildly. I didn't. Sid went down and stayed down. Phil had his back to the wall. Finally, he pulled the broomstick clear. Phil stood there, staring at me, hate in his eyes. He took a step forward. Then all the life left his body. Down he went. Easy, kid, easy. Come on. Let's go upstairs and use Phil's phone. Well, the cops were very happy. They had two corpses and a case that needed no further investigating. When the newspaper boys came, I let the cops take a lot of bows. Inspector Daniels was very grateful. He let me go just before nine o'clock. And, uh, Sally went with me. You see, that's why I was so cooperative with the boys in blue. You see? You see? Good night.
Welcome back. Quite a bit of action in this one. And some over-the-top stuff. I, I mean, pulling out a dart gun? It does feel like the hired assassin made this a lot more complicated than he needed to. Hiring a couple of different actors to try and get the job done. It does seem like he should have been able to bait Larry Kent to capture him without going to this level of convoluted plotting. I did like Larry pushing back on the villain and saying that the day he'd been sentenced was one of the best days of Larry's life. Certainly Kent didn't have anything to regret because the guy was a criminal and he was guilty and he got uh, punished for a crime he committed. And as the title of the series implies, Mr. Kent doesn't care much for crime. But an interesting first encounter. Now, one thing I did learn about the series is that it had an interesting road to get to the air. Larry Kent was played by Ken Wayne, who was an Australian-born actor who tended to be pretty good at doing American characters. In the series, it had a false start. They recorded an audition. In that initial audition, Wayne played a police uh, sergeant, was a recurring character in the series, though not in every episode. However, that pilot did not go anywhere. And so they decided to record the same script, and they offered Ken Wayne the chance to play Larry Kent, and he took it up gladly, and... Things went ridiculously fast. They recorded the program on Thursday. They took it to Sponsor. Sponsor decided that they liked it and it was aired on Monday, which is an insane turnaround time. What made it even worse is that the series didn't have a writer. Wayne gave an interview some decades later, and he said that he actually introduced the production team to an American expat who'd stayed in Australia after the war, and he wrote the series. Uh, Mr. Wayne could not remember or didn't say the name of the writer who uh, did these early episodes, but it was uh, an American who we just don't know who it was. I guess coming from the perspective of American network radio, I don't know which is the thing I struggle most to understand. Whether it was the idea that the series went from audition recording to network broadcast in four days, or the fact that had this series being pitched and they didn't even have a writer lined up for it. But that was an uneasy beginning, but I Hate Crime would last on the air in Australia for a decade. Well, now let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Jesse, Patreon supporter since March of 2016, currently supporting the program at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Well, that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this series, be sure to rate and review wherever you download your podcast from. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode of I Hate Crime. Join us back here for Dangerous Assignment, where... Oh, sorry. Uh...
Vasquez told me I'd find you around one of these stalls. This is the one I sleep in. Come, let us go inside. Okay. You think the spool of wire is in Tijuana now, Benito? See, si, but I do not think it will stay in Tijuana long. The most likely direction is south. Wait. What's the matter? I think someone is outside this stall. I will see. Mm-hmm. Benito! Paz! La Paz! <laughs> Benito folded up in the straw. I dove through the stall gate and took after the fish. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.